0: I personally think the gaps in the kitchen are what determine the quality of the installation. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello, hello, renovators. So this episode of She Renovates is your kitchen installation guide. So this is the third of a three-episode series on renovating kitchens. And today we're up to the installation. Before I get going, this episode is sponsored by the School of Renovating Wonder Women program. So this program provides training, mentoring, community and joint venture opportunities for creative women wanting to replace their income with renovating and Airbnb, either now or at retirement. If you would like to know more about the program, then you can download a copy of the Wonder Woman magazine at www.theschoolofrenovating.com forward slash Wonder Woman, spelled W-O-N-D-E-R, W-O-M-E-N. Now, you might think Wonder Woman is quite a pretentious name, but I have chosen that name for a reason. As women, we tend not to own our success and we tend to, if things go really well, we tend to attribute it to someone else or to luck. And part of my mission is for our women to really own their power. And that means really standing up and taking pride in their work and absolutely nailing their goals. I hope that little background gives you a little bit of understanding of what I am trying to achieve. Okay, so let's move into kitchen renovating. I am getting this episode recorded before I go into a full day conference, so I need to be fairly time efficient. And if you have followed the first two episodes in this, you should be in really good shape for getting your kitchen installed. And the first thing we need to think about is disposing of the existing kitchen. Now, I'm all in favour of reuse, recycling and um, not adding to the landfill problem. So taking photos of that kitchen and either selling or giving it away ahead of time is an excellent option because it means that the kitchen has another life and it's very rare that what you're left with is not reusable. It's usually outdated and and needs a bit of a perk up, but you can usually find a new owner for it. And in fact, our renovators often on the other or the receiving end of this, in fact, one of our Wonder Women just this week is doing a, um, she purchased actually her second project for the month. It is going to be quite a, a budget challenged project. So she bought a magnificent three-year-old Hampton-style kitchen with um, marble bench tops and she paid $500 for it and there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. It came out of a $5 million property and in beautiful condition, much better than anything that she probably would have installed and please think about your kitchen's reincarnation when you're taking it out. And so let's assume you've posted your kitchen on the what's the word buy nothing sites. And so the next step is demolition. So bringing your demolition contractors in to, you know, if remove anything that's remaining, you may be making some structural changes, you may be taking a wall out. So that is definitely the next step. But with the demolition, you want to make sure that everything that needs to come out does come out. Now, a common problem we have, there's two things actually. Firstly, if you've got a tile floor in the kitchen, demolition contractors usually lift the tiles, but often the glue is left behind. And if you're planning to um, put a floating floor in, you want that glue up, so make sure that it comes up. A few times we've had had difficulty getting it up and we've ended up going to Kennards and ordering or hiring a concrete mower which takes it up in an instant. But if you do that, you want to make sure that you also hire the vacuum cleaner that attaches to it because it produces a furious amount of smoke and dust. And if you're in an apartment building, can set off the uh, smoke alarms, which is not good. That can be a very expensive exercise. The other thing that happens is when you take tiles off the wall, the walls usually come off. And so those walls generally need reinstating. So the next thing you want to do is set out the kitchen. And so laying out, making sure that your appliances and sink, etc., are in the right place. So that usually happens a long time before the cabinet installation because the cabinets take a while to make. So you wanna make sure that your water and drainage and location of the appliances is in the right place. With anything you do in renovating, the set out is critical because once the second fix comes in, You'll find that if the set out hasn't been done well and let's say your drain pipe's in the wrong place, it's in the middle of the cupboard next to the sink, that doesn't work and it's a messy and an expensive thing to fix. So take particular care with your set out. With the cabinet installation, whether that is flat pack or custom made, the big thing with kitchen installation is that the cabinets are level, okay? It might seem quite an easy thing to do, but getting the levels right is really important. So you want someone that knows what they're doing actually doing that. One of the things that I like to do, usually you will have someone qualified or experienced installing your kitchen, is to check for gaps I personally think the gaps in the kitchen are what determine the quality of the installation. As I've said in previous episodes, the reason you would go for a custom kitchen is so that it perfectly fits your kitchen. But I have found that custom cabinet makers will still come in and want to use big fillers. And I just think that's a very unprofessional look. So I I am always checking for gaps. So making sure that they aren't too big and they're not using great big fillers. Sometimes you don't have a choice when you're using flat pack, but that's all around your planning to minimise the fillers that you need. But places like over the top of the dishwasher and the oven and around the microwave, you want everything to be fitting snugly. Now sometimes that means that you do have to put a filler piece at the top of the dishwasher or it might mean that the dishwasher just needs to be adjusted. It's nice if your kicker and the cupboards work with the kicker on the dishwasher, in which case you may not have that much opportunity to adjust the top of the dishwasher. Now I think I've probably mentioned this before because it's one of my pet issues, but range hood installation other than the power which the electrician will put in, needs to be done by the cabinet maker, and particularly if you're using a recycling range hood. Now, the reason being a recycling range hood has a different configuration at the front to a uh, vented range hood. So, with a recycling uh, range hood, it has vents at the front that pull the air in, uh, sorry, That blow the air out. It comes in through the bottom and comes out through the top. But often they get installed just like a normal one. So they have doors that come down over those vents. I hope I can find an image to show you this because this is important. And most, I don't know, most cabinet makers seem, I think, crack dumb. They think, they pretend they don't know what you're talking about, but they do. And so what they actually have to do is cut those cabinet doors shorter to expose the, the vents, and then they have to replace the trim on, I'm talking about a slide-out range hood, by the way, and to replace the trim with a deeper one. So a recycling range hood will come with two trims, the smaller one and for a standard vented range hood and then the deeper one for the recycling. So that needs to be replaced and the doors need to be cut shorter to match. Now, if you're putting floating floor in, there's also a consideration around how that's finished off. Now, a lot of floor installers will use that hideous wood grain Scotia. I can't stand it and I do my best to avoid it. So in the Main part of the room, you know, in the living area, you can use, put your skirting down on top, but around the kitchen, that is not quite so easy. And I just get them to cut the kickers short enough to accommodate the thickness of the floor and the underlay and just leave the kickers off until the floating floor has been installed. Around the ends of islands where you don't have kickers, I get them to scribe them neatly in close to the cabinets. So then they just run a very fine silicon bead around. Don't let them push you into having those scotias, unless, of course, you're not putting skirtings in the rest of the room and you don't have an option there. Well, then I guess you don't really have a choice, but I always try to avoid them. Once you've got your cabinets in, you want to get the stone measured up as soon as possible because that is what's going to take the time. I have suppliers that will take three days and I have some that will take 10. Obviously, the three-day suppliers are more expensive. So there's really not a lot you can do until you've got that stone in. So getting that measured up as soon as possible is important and getting it installed. Just a little thing to note with the stone. Make sure that you give the stonemason the sink to install in the factory. So, to cut out the hole for the sink and install it in the factory. But keep the plug and waste because it's, I've also had a problem where the, they've mixed up the plug and waste with someone else's. Often, you know, in fancy sinks, they're specific to that sink and then you're down the gurgler with no plug and waste. So keep that, send the kitchen off with the stonemason and also with a template for the cooktop so that they can get that whole cut as well. I have had a stonemason who's wanted to cut on site and if they do that, I make them go outside near a tap so that they can cut wet Uh, I made the mistake once of letting them cut inside. That was a disaster. Basically, it ruined the paintwork. So never again. Avoid having them cut on site. But if they do need to, get them as far away as possible with a hose so that they can keep the dust down. Stone is becoming a real problem in terms of the health risks of it. It's carcinogenic. So I'm not sure how long we're going to have, when I say stone, composite stone, but once the stone is in, just check that things like the cooktop actually fit. The stonemason doesn't fit the cooktop, but they should check and make sure that it does fit so that when your electrician comes along, then there aren't going to be problems. We have had problems when we've gone from a laminate bench top to a stone because the laminate is a thicker material. So just be mindful of that. As soon as the stone's in, you want to get the splashback installed quickly, too, so your electrician can fit off, whether that's tiles, glass, stainless steel, whatever you're going for there, and the joints siliconed. Once all that is done, then you are set to go. So bring your plumber and electrician back to fit off all the appliances, double check everything in the kitchen. Make sure the plumber commissions the dishwasher and checks that it's working and check over your kitchen and make sure that everything is complete. There's a cutlery divider in the cutlery drawer. There is a rubbish bin under the sink and everything is functional and looking beautiful. I do find that when just about every time we have custom cabinetry, the cabinet maker's coming back two or three times because something's not quite right. Yes, I usually allow for a day or two for that to get sorted out. But once the cabinets, the carcasses themselves are in and the stone can go on top, you can keep going. You don't need to hang around. You know, you don't need to wait for the doors to be perfect. They can do them as they go. Something that I didn't mention that I should have is that when you're installing a kitchen, if the kitchen costs more than the threshold for home compensation fund warranty, in short is builder's warranty, and in New South Wales, it's 20,000, I think, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 20,000, which that doesn't affect us because we don't usually put a $20,000 worth of cabinetry in, but if yours does, you want to make sure that your supplier is organising that warranty because by law it's required if the cost of the kitchen is over the threshold. And the last thing I like to do is get bulkheads in over the tops of the cabinets. Now, if we have a high ceiling, you know, 2.7 and above, I probably wouldn't put bulkheads in just because it makes the room too top heavy. But lower than that, definitely I put bulkheads in to really tidy up the kitchen. And also sometimes you can install some accent lighting or LED lighting in that as well to add some more wow to your kitchen. Once all that's done, you want to just go over the kitchen, make sure that there are no defects and get there sorted as soon as possible, get it cleaned and there you go, new kitchen. Okay, so some other episodes that may interest you in relation to kitchen renovating. Number 24, a flat pack kitchen that doesn't look like a flat pack number 122 which is the first in this series kitchen renovating for profit part 1 and number 124 how to resource your project while keeping your kitchen renovation costs down and so before i go i'll just fill you in on what's been going on in my world this week and I've had quite a big week. I had another retreat, a business retreat with my business community, Business Blueprint. And during that couple of days, I actually had an ice bath. Now, that was an interesting experience and... I'm really glad I did it because I really didn't think I could. So it's always good to push your limits. And now I'm in conference all week. So it's been quite full on. Also, I located a potential property for our class project. I've mentioned in earlier episodes that we have crowdfunded the finance to be able to run one project, a teaching project, so I always like to have something on the go, for the students that are coming through. So now we are doing that as a community. So we've crowdfunded the money and so that we won't be working with alone. And I found an amazing property on the the Wonder Women retreat. We did a property tour in Newcastle and I found this incredible property. But unfortunately, it's seriously underquoted. It's quoted at between 8.50 and 9.50 as a guide. And I think it's going to go well into the mid one millions. And so we're just really working out... The numbers on that, that's a very tightly held area. It's really hard to find properties that have sold in the area, which makes it a good area to renovate in because it's premium, but it also does make it hard for doing your um, feasibility. But that's very exciting. The auction's next week and I'm really excited about it. It's a much bigger project than I would normally do, but a great teaching project because It's got such a great scope. But anyhow, I will let you know how we go with that. We have been busy getting the joint venture or the circle set up with all the people that are going to be investing in it. And yeah, it's a bit of excitement. So that's great. I've got a few other things on the go too, but I'll keep them for, for another time. Now that we've, I've finished this episode, you might have some un- unanswered questions or want to talk about your, renovating your kitchen. So what I want you to do is to come over to our completely free She Renovates Facebook group. It's now 1,100 members and growing quite quickly, which is quite exciting. And it's full of savvy renovating women who are beavering away there, changing their lives with renovating. And if you're not already, join if you're not already a member and then ask or comment or whatever you want to do over there. I come in once a week and do a live. And yeah, so have a great week. This is the She Renovates podcast.